We've already been reminded that you are the light of the world. And we know that that's true. You've invaded the darkness uh, that has surrounded us, even the darkness of our own hearts, and it's changed everything. Even, even the first words in the Scriptures, you said, let there be light. And it did change everything. You, in the fullness of time, you sent a star that led wise men to a manger, to the one who would say, I am the light of the world. And it changed everything. And then for us, most of us who are here this morning, there was a time when the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ shone into our hearts. Jesus Christ in us. And it changed everything. And is still changing everything. Yet this morning, we are people that are, have, are full of needs. There are things in our own lives, in our relationships, in our families, in our work, in our world that are so difficult, they seem like darkness to us. We don't know what to do, how to do it. And there is this pervasive darkness in relation to that need. Dear Father, we ask that You would help us again. Help us to trust You to invade this, the darkness of this need and bring Your light to it. So that when the answer is seen by all, it will be clear to all that it was You. That it was Your light, Your provision, Your protection, Your enablement. And we'll praise You. And we'll sing already as we have, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. Father, we, we pray for the salvation of our children. Father, we ask that You'd save them and change everything. Father, I know that there are people here whose jobs are tenuous whose employment is that darkness that dark need it it's a it's a cloud that hangs over their heads even if they have a job they wonder how long it will be father we ask that you just bring the peace of god around their hearts and minds as you help them to trust you for that Father, we pray for Your church everywhere. Indonesia, Nepal, Philippines, Congo, Rockford. Father, we pray most of all that You'd help us, help them, churches, uh, people in churches in every place to be known as those who love each other even when it's undeserved. May it characterize your people around the world. Now, as we say that, there's sometimes when we don't see how it can possibly happen. Except your word is a great help to us. The words of Paul flood into my mind 
Now to Him who is able. Now to Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think so that to Him will be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. This one, the next one, the next one, the next one, forever and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. So be it. Kids, come get your notes. Thank you, music team. Thank you, readers of the Scriptures. Thank you, those of you that serve unnoticed and noticed in the life of the church. Uh, When Lee and I were driving up here today, we we thought, wow, this could really be small. This could really be small. This is more than I thought. This is more than I thought. Um... Now, some, some people might look around and say, wow, these are the committed. These are the committed. It, it could be that, but don't, don't live your life on commitment. Uh, if you're here this morning, let it not be out of some sense of commitment. Let it be out of a heart of love. Let it be out of a heart of love. Don't, don't do anything for God uh, just out of commitment. Whatever you do, whatever you know He has gifted you to do and He wants you to do, look to Him to enable whatever you do and ask Him to put the environment of a heart of love around that. What will happen if you don't? What will happen if you don't? What are, you know what? I've done this, so I know. This is personal testimony, Okay. I've served God out of personal commitment. And when you don't notice, I'm hurt. When you don't notice my commitment, I'm hurt. I'm wounded. Don't serve Him out of commitment. The, the leaders of the church don't want you to do that. We don't want you to do that. We want you to serve, but we want you to serve out of heart of love. Okay? Now, I'm not saying, Steve's not saying, leaders of our church aren't saying you can't get wounded doing that. You certainly can. Certainly can. You can get wounded serving God out of a heart of love. You can get wounded either way. But if you've got to the place where what you're doing, what you're serving out is a heart of love, God's got your hand. He'll give you everything you need to deal with with the wound, with those who don't notice, with those who don't appreciate.
So, Father, we ask you, and we thank you for those who are already served, those who will serve, those who are here. Father, if there's any of us who have done any of that, even our coming this morning, out of just raw commitment, forgive us. You call us to love you, especially to love what you say, and then to depend upon you to enable us to do whatever it is that you say. And all God's people said, Help us, Lord. (laughs) All right, well, in your bulletin uh, is an outline of the thoughts uh, that we're going to work through today from the book of Micah. Micah, probably a... This is the first time I've ever preached from Micah. It's been a joy. God has used this to warm the cockles of my heart. You know what cockles are? I don't either. But to warm my heart, uh, as we were driving up there this morning, Lee said, this has really been good for you, hasn't it? And it has. I hope God enables me to lay it out for you so it will be good for you too. I want to start with a question. What What will God do? with people who say they're His, but will not repent of their sin and seek Him and depend on Him. What will God do? You ever seen anybody do that? You ever seen somebody name the name of Christ, sin, and not repent and seek Him and depend on Him? That's the message. That's the situation this morning that we're looking at here in Micah. You know, Micah is a gospel prophet. Now, I think every prophet's a gospel prophet, but Micah in particular, and you're going to see it. Those who think the Old Testament is law and the New Testament is grace, no. The Word of God is grace. The whole thing. You're going to see that this morning. The message of Micah provides the answer to the question, what will God do with people who say they're His, sinned, and won't repent. We're going to see that. Micah's message is important for us today because God has given us a role like Micah's. He has called us to be prophets. Now, New Testament calls that proclaimers. Steve just got taken, got through taking the church through 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 says, You are a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Out of darkness into light. That's what He's done, right? And so we, we are prophets to proclaim that. We had not received mercy, now we have received mercy. And we want to give it away. So this morning, this, this looking at the book of Micah is a test for us. Some of us are prophets of a different gospel. Some of us, that what we proclaim is not what Micah's proclaiming, not what Christ is proclaiming, yet we proclaim it pretty loud by how we live and by what we say. How close? Here's, here's another question we, wanna, we want this passage to help us with. How close are we as proclaimers, as prophets, to the life and message 
that God has entrusted to us. How close are we to it? Now, Steve and I, as pastors, have to ask ourselves that question. How close are we to it? Not just what I'm going to do this morning, but the way I live. How close are the elders? How close are the deacons? How close are the families? How close are the individuals of this church as proclaimers, as prophets of the message of the gospel? How close are we to it? Is our thinking about sin skewed? Mine was. It got corrected today, this week a little bit as I studied. The message of Micah is in a summary, and it's the three points on your outline there. Micah would say something like this. This is my vernacular of it. I promise you, God hates our sin. I promise you, God will send His Son to save some. I promise you, God's salvation will change everything. All right. Father, Shine the light of your Spirit upon your Word for the sake of your people. Amen. On your outline, right below the first point, you see it there? What's the first word? Whoa. (laughs) That's what prophets do, isn't it? Whoa. Whoa. Warning. Whoa. Look out. As I read through Micah, I thought, how am I going to convey this to you? How is the weight of sin going to be conveyed to you? Now, I've decided to do something that's a little different. Okay? Here's what I want. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to I've picked verses that I'm going to read that Micah has said. God inspired Micah to say them to Israel and to Judah in about 750 BC or somewhat somewhere in there, okay. And and I want to I want to read some of these to you. So I don't even want you to try to follow along with me through ch- chapters one, two, and three. I just want you to listen. If you want to close your eyes, here's what I want you to put on your on your tribe of Israel ears, okay. Put on your tribe of Israel ears. Hear the words of the prophet, the message, and the warning of the prophet as he rails against sin. Here we go. Hear, O peoples, all of you. Listen, O earth and all it contains. Let the Lord God be a witness against you. For behold, the Lord is coming forth from His place. He will come down and tread the high places of the earth. And all this is for the rebellion of Jacob. For I will make Samaria a heap of ruins. All of her idols will be smashed. All of her earnings will be burned with fire. All of her images I will make desolate. She collected them from harlots' earnings. I will give them back to harlots. Because of this, Micah says, I lament and I wail. For her wound is incurable. And now it has come to Judah. It has reached the gate 
of Jerusalem. Go on your way in shameful nakedness because a calamity has come down from the Lord to the gates of Jerusalem. So harness the chariot, the team of horses, get ready to get out of town because in you were found the rebellious acts of Israel, the northern ten tribes. Chapter 2, Woe to those who scheme iniquity, who work out evil on their beds. When morning comes, they do it! For it is in the power of their hands to do so. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am planning against this family a calamity from which you cannot remove your neck. Recently, my people have arisen as an enemy. You stripped the robe off the garment of unsuspecting passers-by, the women of my people. You evict from their houses. You take from their children what I have given to them. Hear now, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You hate good and love evil. You even eat the flesh of My people. You break their bones. You chop them up as in a pot, like meat in a kettle. And when they cry out to their Lord, I will not answer them. Why not? Because they too have practiced evil deeds. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead My people astray. When they have something to bite on with their teeth, they cry peace. If they have food, they they cry peace. That's their message. If they don't have food, they say war. Therefore, on account of you, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the temple will become a high place of the forest. And in just a little while, the northern tribes, ten of them, are going to be taken, about 65 years, are going to be taken into captivity. And about a hundred years later, Judah is going to follow them. Listen to the words of God to the king of Judah. His name is Ahaz. Listen to what he's done. The news had come to the royal court. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king, Ahaz, and his people trembled like trees shaking in a storm. Tell Ahaz. Here's the word of the Lord that came to Ahaz. Tell Ahaz to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those who burned of those burned out embers. The king of Syria and the king of Israel. They say, we will attack Judah and capture it. Then we'll install our king as Judah's king. But this is what the Sovereign Lord says. 
this invasion will never happen. It will never take place. If you do not believe this, Ahaz, you will not stand. Now, what is it that God wanted him to believe? What is it that that he was looking for Ahaz to do? Well, listen. Here's what faith will look like. Here's what belief will look like. The Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation of what I have said. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven, as deep as the place of the dead. But the king refused to do what God said. No, I will not do what you've said. All right then, the Lord said, I'll give you a sign. And the Lord will bring about things on you and your nation and your family unlike anything since Israel broke away from Judah. And He will bring the king of Assyria upon you. King Ahaz has been given an invitation from God to be a member of the remnant of God. And he says, No. I will not do what you've asked me to do. Dear ones, we as proclaimers of the One who has called us out of darkness into light have to think right and clearly about sin. God hates sin. He hates my sin. He hates our sin. He hates everybody's sin. Sin deceives. Can you imagine a king of God's people getting a message from his God saying, I will deliver you. But you've got to believe that or you will not stand. Ask for any sign of confirmation you want. I'll give it to you. And he says, no. Ahaz is conceived. He's conceived in his th- he's deceived in his thinking. His heart of love for God is nowhere to be found. That's what sin does. Dear ones, proclaimers of Jesus Christ who has called us out of darkness into his light. Have you, have you got a place where sin is being harbored? You've got it in your pocket. And you say, oh, just a little sin. Just a little one. You can't contain sin in a little place. You can't contain it. It will spread. It can't be contained. In here, in Israel, and in Judah, it's, it's contaminated the whole country. It's like yeast. What does yeast do in bread? You put a little bit in there, you can't believe what it's going to do? Dear ones, we're prophets of the Most High God. You can't have a little sin. Well, you can. I do. But you can't have it without it contaminating everything. It's contagious. It's like an infectious disease. 
here it's contaminating the king, the people, the whole country, the prophets. And they don't care. They're deceived and they're hardened and they don't care. The message we proclaim to the world is God hates our sin. Let's say it this way. God hates my sin. Say it with me. God hates my sin. I don't hear you hardly. You know what? That's not a popular message. That's not a popular message. It's hard to be a prophet. How many want to sign up to be Micah today? God hates my sin. God hates our sin. How are you doing? Do you qualify for a prophet? You got this part of the message down? I promise you, Micah said, God hates it. And He will not overlook it. Now, it's going to be 65 years before Israel's in exile. It's going to be 100 years before Judah's in exile. But they are going into exile. God will do with sin what He promises He'll do with sin. I, I, I heard you. I heard what you were saying. I hope so-and-so's here today. They need to hear this message. Now, how did I hear you? I didn't really hear you. I just, that's how I think. I'm standing up here and I'm saying, Oh, hey, hey, so-and-so's not here. They need to hear this message. No, I need to hear this message. God has been beating this into my breast. He needs to beat it into all of us. Is this the end of the promise? It looks like it, doesn't it? Judah and Israel, it looks like the end, but it isn't. Look at the second point. I promise you. Micah's going to say, I promise you, God will send His Son to save some. Look at the verses right under that second point. See it? And now, many nations have assembled against you. Now, Micah's looking ahead. It's not like they're all around uh, Jerusalem that day, but they're coming. And he sees it as if it's a reality. And now many nations have been assembled against you who say, and they say, these nations are saying this, let her be polluted. Let her eyes, and let our eyes gloat over Zion, over God's people. But they don't know the thoughts of the Lord and they do not understand what He's doing here. They don't understand His purpose. See, these sinful, rebellious people of Judah and Israel who name His name are going to be taken into captivity, but the promise of God what is that promise? That through the descendants of Abraham, them, one will come who will save the nations. Wow. See, their sin as bad as it is, as awful as it is, as that which will result in their exile, their loss of their king, their loss of their land, is not going to negate the promise, the redemptive promise of God. Aren't you glad? 
God's plan is to use the consequences of sin to deal with their sin and then, years later, hundreds of years later, to send His Son to establish peace with God in such a way that it's going to impact the whole world and change everything. So here we are. We're in verse 1 of chapter 5. This is these four and a half verses. Here's promised consequences to sin. Let me ask you a question. Will God deal with sin? Will He overlook sin? No. No. Now, i got to tell you, i got to tell you, God has been merciful to me. He hasn't given, I haven't, it's not like this. Sin. Sometimes you sin, you expect it. You didn't get it. You say, oh, he's overlooked it. It's just not tit for tat. It's just not today, today. is merciful. Sometimes, for years, he's, he, he's been merciful to me. And I'm grateful. Verse 1, consequences promised. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughters of troops, because they, the nations, have laid siege against us, and with a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. This chapter begins with a sad depiction of what's to come to Jerusalem and to her king. It's probably an allusion to the coming invasion of the Assyrians. Judas King will be. Judas King will be. I'm going to give myself a bloody nose here. <laughs> will be smitten on the cheek. It's an, it's, it's an extreme insult that the conquering king gives to the conquered king. Smack him on the cheek. Show him who's the victor. Get ready. Israel. Get ready, Jerusalem. It's coming. But the promise of one who will come survives. And Micah envisions a king who will come from the line of David that will change everything. Verse 2. Promise salvation. A Redeemer is coming. Listen to this. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will come. From me. See, this is Yahweh speaking. Yah, you know, it's, it's like Micah is speaking in God speak. Yahweh is saying this. But as for you, Bethlehem, one is going to come from me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Ephrata is the ancient name of a particular Bethlehem. Do you know there's more than one Rockford in the United States? There's Rockford, Michigan. There's Rockford, Illinois. Do you know of any others? Okay. How would you... You know, we, we say Rockford, Illinois. Bethlehem, Ephrata. This is, this, is, this is identifying the birthplace of who? Not just Jesus. Not just Jesus. Not Who before Him? David. It's the birthplace of David. Yeah. Bethlehem Ephrata is such a little clan that it can't even be called a clan. It's a little clan in a little tribe, in a little nation with a big God. They, they, Bethlehem Ephrata seemed insignificant, but one day, 
the whole world will sing. Oh, little town of... How still we see that I had that dream, right? We'll sing of the one. 2,000 years later, who will come? His coming and His goings forth are according to the plan. Before the foundation of the world, it was established He would come. In response to the promise of God to Abraham, He will come. And in spite of the sins of His people. Who is this ruler? Well, we know. We know who He is. Who is He? Kids, who is He? Jesus, yes. We hear it in the opening of the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 2, you don't need to turn there, just listen. Herod the king, after he's heard of the coming of this one, this child, began to inquire of the wise men, where? Where is the Christ to be born? And the wise men said, well, it's written. In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. You see, dear ones, the sin of Israel is so pervasive. It's so incurable. It takes the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, to come and to die We're never surprised by sin. Are you surprised by sin? No. But we know what to do with sin. We know how to respond to sin in, our own, in ourselves. We know how to respond to, to sin in others. How is that? To respond to their sin the way God responded to my sin. Some don't want to do that. The ultimate sin. The ultimate sin. I want it, but you can't have it, and I won't give it to you. Verse 3. Put it in, putting together. Promise consequences and a promise Savior. Together in one verse. Therefore, He will give them up. God will give them up. His people, His sinful people, until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child, then the remainder of His brethren will return to the sons of Israel. He's going to give them up, but all the sons of Israel are going to come. (laughs) Consequences of sin? Promise of redemption. A ruler will eventually come to deliver Israel, but God will give them up until then. Think of this, Micah's prophesying in the, in the second half of 700 B.C. 700 years before this prophecy will be fulfilled in Christ. A ruler will come. God is going to give him up until then. Whoa. How long? Until the time when she who is, labor, who is in labor has been born, has born a child. Let me stop here just a second and explain. No doubt, when you hear these words, until the time when she who is in labor is born a child, you think Mary in the manger in Bethlehem. And, hey, that should come to mind, rightly so. But in almost every prophecy of the prophets, there is a near 
interpretation. There is a new, there is a near working out of what the prophet has to say, and there is far. The near has already, Micah has already used this image of a woman in labor in chapter four of Micah. And here's what he said in verses nine and ten to Israel and Judah. Now, now, why do you cry loudly to his people? Why do you cry loudly? Is there no king that you can cry to? Has your counselor perished? That agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth? Writhe. Labor to give birth, daughter of Zion, like a woman in childbirth. For now, you will go out of this city. You will dwell in the field. And you go into captivity in Babylon. There. Receiving the fullness of your consequences for the sin. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemy. See, the labor and the pain of childbirth Micah is using here in the near with Israel and Judah is used here the pain of picture, to paint a picture of the pain of exile, the pain of the loss of their king, the pain of the loss of their land. Why would God deal with His people this way? What good could come from this? Do you hear the tone of God's message through Micah? See, his concern is to wake up those who will be the remnant of Israel to the gravity of their situation, to the hardness of their heart, to lead them to repentance. So there will be a remnant. You know what the word remnant means? A tenth. A tenth. What about here? Dear ones, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, watch out for sin. Love, mercy. Why would God, why would God do that? Why would God send Micah to rail against their sin and say, I'm going to send a Savior. It's going to be in 700 years. Until then, I'm going to leave you alone. The story is told of a pastor. Those of you who have done much reading of commentaries will, will know the name Donald Barnhouse. story of a pastor and his pastoral ministry. In the early days of his ministry, he met a man who lived not far from the church building, whom he would occasionally speak to about salvation. Each time he did this, the man would laugh it off, saying that he wasn't the kind who needed church. He was a member of a lodge and said that if a person lived up to the high principles of that lodge, he'd be all right. The day came when the man was stricken with a serious illness and was not expected to live out the day. Barnhouse went to see him. A member of the man's lodge was already there on what was called the death watch. The point being that 
no member of their lodge would ever be allowed to die alone. This deathbed companion was sitting across the room reading a magazine, but he was there. Barnhouse had scarcely entered the room when the replacement of that guy came. The guy who had been there left. He sat down reading his magazine. It was a desperate situation. Barnhouse felt like it called for pointed gospel conversation. So he sat down next to the dying man's bed and he said, You don't mind if I stay here a few minutes and watch you, do you? I've wondered what it would mean to die without Christ. And I've known you for several years now as a man who said he didn't need Christ. But that his lodge lodge obligations were enough. I'd like to see a man come to the end of his life that way to see what it would be like. I came to watch you die to see what it's like to live without Christ and to die without Christ. Barnhouse was being a kind of a Micah. The stricken man looked up with a wounded face and he said slowly, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't mock a dying man, would you? Barnhouse then, wondering out loud to himself, said this, I wonder what I will say when I stand before God. And he asks me, what right do what what when he asks me what right I have to enter his holy heaven? Great tears ran down the man's pale, wrinkled cheeks as he looked back in agonized silence and quickly, gently, compassionately, Barnhouse told him the way of salvation through faith in the merits of Christ. The man replied that his mother had taught him all of those things when he'd been a child, but he'd abandoned them. Then in those moments, at the very end of his life, the man was called back to reflect upon those truths and on the faith that only God can give in Jesus Christ. And he believed and he repented of his sin. And soon he asked that the members of his family be brought in so that they could hear his testimony. And he asked that when Barnhouse would do his funeral, which was just a few days away, that he would tell this story at his funeral. Dear ones, Micah is inspired by God to describe the benefits that exile, loss of king, loss of land, will bring to the remnant of God. It will purge and purify them of their sin and of their idols. It will protect them. It will protect the remnant for the sake of the promised Abraham, for the coming of the Savior. Micah says that the end of this estrangement from God, the end of this abandonment, is going to be marked by two things. It's going to be marked by a coming ruler for Israel. Verse 2, we already read it. And it's going to be marked by a return to Israel. Now here's the phrase. Of the remainder of his brothers. Who, 
Who are these described as the remainder of God's brethren? Chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 tells us, In that day, by the way, chapter 4 begins in the last days. In the last days is when this is going to happen. What are the last days? What are the last days? When you hear that biblical, in the last days, the last days begin at the cross. That's where the last days begin. We're in the last days. Not because we think He might come in the next five minutes. The last days begin at the cross and they end when He comes. A long time. It's been a long time already. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather the outcasts, even those I have afflicted. And I will make the lame a remnant. And the outcasts a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion forever. Dear ones, you, you, me, we are part of that remnant. We are the lame that He has assembled. We are the outcasts. When Christ died, it was like a gospel tsunami. You know what a tsunami is? Volcano. Remember the, there was one great big one around India? An earthquake and it, ro- and it rolled in, it, in every direction. The cross of Jesus Christ is the gospel tsunami. It rolls back through the ages to save men and women of faith through Christ. And it rolls forward. And we, it has come to us What will the reign of that Lord look like? Look at verse 4. Here's what it will look like. And He, Jesus Christ, will arise. And what will He do? He will shepherd His flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, and they will remain. Because at that time, He will be great to the ends of the earth. And this one is our peace. What will he do? He's going to shepherd his flock. And he's doing that right now. Pastors are sometimes called, Peter calls them, under-shepherds. There's a chief shepherd, isn't there? He is shepherding. Dear ones, I'm 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 an under-shepherd of the sheep and And I'm sinful. And I'm weak. And you'll see my flesh. But we have a shepherd who shepherds the sheep. How will he shepherd the sheep? He will shepherd in the strength of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, to the ends of the earth. That's our vision. That's our mission. We shepherd... We use the Gospel. We proclaim it. We shepherd those He saves in the strength of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, to the end of the earth. Where does Rock Valley Bible Church get its purpose? It's right here! What will be the effect of His shepherding? His flock will remain. Literally, that means this. Live in safety no matter what happens. His flock will remain. Live in safety no matter what happens. 
Why? They got a different shepherd. They got a shepherd like Jesus Christ. This one, he himself will be our peace. See, it's not peace of the absence of trouble, it's peace with God. Jesus will do what's necessary so that the God who hates sin will be merciful to sinners. Let me say that again. This is our message. Jesus will do what's necessary so that the God who hates sin will be merciful to sinners. Can you say amen? Yeah, we could all go start our cars and leave. Right? That's it. How does this shepherding, how does the way He shepherds impact our shepherding? You know what? When you look at something, when you look at me and you say, what are we going to do with that guy? He needs to change. What are we going to do with that guy? When everything needs to change, how do we shepherd? We point to the shepherd. That's how we shepherd. We point to Jesus. We speak in the name of Jesus. We trust in the power of Jesus. And we proclaim peace and safety is only in Him. Now, I want you to be careful of something. Our greatest temptation every day of our lives is to shepherd in the strength of our flesh. To shepherd in the name of Frank Yonke. Or put your name in there. It's not ours. It's Him, isn't it? But be careful. Be careful. We can fail without putting our own name in there. All we have to do is just put something else in there. There's only one there's only one shepherd and it's Jesus. And it's his strength, it's his name. And in him we have everything we need. And it changes everything. If you go any other way, if you go any other way, you find yourself in the same position Israel and Judah are. They are content. Many times Israel was content to go to the temple, but they didn't go to the God of the temple. You ever done that? If you're going on commitment, you might be here in the temple, in the church, but not with the God of the church. You're not here because of love for the God of the church. You see how deceptive sin is? You see how deceptive that evil one is? He, he would have us all here in human fleshy commitment and be saying, my plan's a success. Just to have him forget Jesus. Just to have him forget the grace of God. Last point, I promise you. God's salvation will change everything. Turn to the last turn to chapter seven, the last three verses of Micah. Chapter seven of Micah. Last three verses. Here's the end. Who is a God like this? Boy, what a great question. This is a gospel guy. This is the gospel guy. He has one place that he's doing. He's pointing to the one who will come. 
And what is he like? Verse 18. He pardons iniquity. You want to, you, you want to hold everybody accountable for iniquity? Well, I don't. I want to go to the one who pardons iniquity. He passes over the rebellious acts of sinners in Christ Jesus. You know what? There's sometimes I don't want to pass over your rebellious acts. I want to remember them. I want to hold them up and remind you of them again and again and again. You know what he wants to do? He wants to pass over our rebellious acts in Christ Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that the gospel you want? He doesn't retain his anger forever. I do. I do, but he doesn't. He delights in unchanging love. Oh, I struggle with that. Verse 19, He will have compassion on sinners. He'll tread our sins under His foot. He'll cast our sins into the depths of the sea of His blood. Our sins are covered. Our past, our past present, and future sins are covered in the, the sea of the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, He will give truth to Jacob. He will give unchanging love Abraham. Don't separate those two. The truth of who Jesus is. The unchanging love of who Jesus is. Who keeps His promises forever to those who don't deserve it. And He is our Savior who changes everything. Have you ever failed to be a prophet of that message? Of that one? Have you ever failed to trust Him? Well, certainly. We have. Dear ones, I have good news for you. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. We can cry out to Him. We're heirs. Everything He has, we have. And He's changed everything. We cry out to Him and we say, God, forgive me. God, help me to deal with the people in this room, to deal with the people in my work around me, to deal with my family as graciously as you have dealt with me in my sin. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not in Christ, you're like the guy on that bed, belonged to a lodge and thought, my lodge membership will take care of it for me. No, it won't. Look at the bottom of your outline there. I don't know if it's in the bulletin. Is it? Hope is possible? You see, is it there? Okay, hope is possible because even in exile, God had not abandoned His people but had planned to send His Messiah to rescue them from their sin. The prophets make it clear. Some were spared for this reason. God preserved a remnant who would inherit a better future. But hell is not like that. Today is the day of salvation. There is no rescue plan from hell. Don't put it off. Turn to Him. Cry out to Him. God, pardon my iniquity. Have mercy on me. I trust Jesus, not me. Cover my sins, past, present, and future with the blood of Jesus. Help me to trust You to change everything. 
Help me to trust you to change everything. Say that with me. Help me to trust you to change everything. Say it once more. Help me to trust you to change everything. If you don't do that, you'll find some other plan. And God will hate it because it's sin. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for giving us a ministry of reconciliation in Christ Jesus. Thank you for calling us to be proclaimers of Him who called us out of darkness, not just in words, but in the way that we deal with one another. God, forgive us. God, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.